Welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. Um, For today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today, I'm going to share one of the sermons that I preached at New Life Church titled Keep the Unity. My text for this sermon can be found in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. When you're done listening to this episode, I would encourage you to ask yourself a few questions. One, what was your key takeaway from this message? Two, did you learn anything new? Three, how can you apply something you heard during this sermon to your life? Remember, you may be the only Christ figure that someone sees today, so it's important that we not only read the word, but we live out the word as well. Wherever you may be listening, I just want to take a time out to thank you for tuning in this week. Please like, follow, share, and subscribe. It really helps us get the message out. Be blessed, be encouraged, because God will be faithful to complete the work that he started in you. I have titled my message, and the main part of my message today is going to be about unity in the body of Christ. So if you, are, if you have your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, if you could open up to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 for me. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And while you guys are turning, I'm going to go ahead and pray for the word. Father, I just thank you today. I just thank you that your presence is here in this room. I just thank you you're going to work in us and through each one of us today. I thank you that the way that we walked in is not the way we're going to walk out. I thank you for the healing that's about to take place. I thank you for the restoration that's about to take place. I thank you for just the reconciling that's about to take place today, Father. I thank you for the spiritual growth and maturity that's about to take place in each one of us today, Lord. And I thank you that this is just going to be a word in season, Father. And I just pray that you speak through me today as the vessel used to deliver your word, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the fact that you've been here with us today, Father. We just pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Warning against worldliness. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know what friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to not, or excuse me, or do you suppose it is to not, it's to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one, who speaks, the one who speaks against a brother or, judge, or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
He who is able to save and destroy. But who you judge, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. All right, I'm going to need y'all help. I'm going to need help to preach this today. So first thing I need you to do, I need everybody to look around and tell me if you see Pastor Bob anywhere. This is really important for the rest of my message. Do y'all see him anywhere? Check under your chairs. Do y'all see him? Good. Okay, I'm going to tell y'all this crazy story because by the time he hears this, I'll be long gone. So this story is about me and Jose, our favorite worship leader, and how sometimes we just disagree. Sometimes we don't get along. For the sake of this message today, I'm going to tell you 99% of the time, it's my fault. So, just being honest. So, we've had the, the worship team tryouts, right? Anybody sign up for that? Yeah, me too. So, I sent the text message like everybody else. I was excited like everybody else. And I'm waiting for my sign-up time like everybody else. But unlike those of you who raised your hands, I get a message from Jose saying, bro, this just ain't gonna work out. Like, what you mean? What is not gonna work out? I said, why not? And he said, this, this is just not for you. So who are you to tell me what's for me? This went on for like 11 days, okay? I think it finally stopped like yesterday at four o'clock. So, you know, I'm the kind of person who, when you tell me not to use my spiritual gifts, I start acting irrational, okay? Even if it's spiritual gifts I don't have. You know, now that I think about it, I guess that was kind of his point. But So I started listing off all the people who signed up to join the worship team. And I said, bro, what do they have that I don't have? He said, Eric, they can sing. You can't. He said they can read music. You can't. He said they can play instruments. You can't. I said, wow, he is really smoking me in this argument right now. I said, okay, okay. So forget the singing and dancing then. The worship team could use a rapper, and I got you. It's just to reach the cell blocks. And if you got that reference, then you know I wasn't always saved. But, and he said, Eric, I really don't think you understand the point of Sunday morning worship. And I said, no, Jose, I don't think you understand. And right there, when my salvation was about to be in serious question, Pastor Bob just randomly called me. <laughs> he, said, he said, do you want to preach July 3rd? I said, yeah, about what? He said, James chapter 4. So I'm looking. I said, yeah, Bob, I'll do that after I repent. He said, what did you do? I said, I just some quarrels, some wars some unnecessary banter back and forth with Jose. Because let me tell you what, what it is. Have any of you ever even actually heard me sing? Praise God for y'all. <laughs> Jesus loves you. I'm telling you right now, okay? Because if I start singing right now, the kids downstairs are all going to start crying. The stray animals outside are going to start howling. You're all going to leave. And the Holy Spirit is going to leave too, because that is not my gift. Now, I'm going to leave it up to you to decide whether that story is true or if it's just something I told you to entertain you for a few minutes. Um, yeah, whoever just said it's true, you might be right. But the story really did get me thinking, because though that's silly and we, you know, Jose and I just joke back and forth, it really got me thinking, 
how do I actually treat my brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I actually treat the people that I sit next to in church? How do I really treat the people that I serve with every Sunday? The people who we sit next to while we raise our hands and we listen to sermons that we preach, how do we really treat each other? And I'm talking about the brethren, those of us who profess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. What are we really like towards one another? Because if I treat you badly, the people who are outside those doors, they're not coming in here. If I start posting negative things on Facebook about you, my friends who don't believe what I believe, they see that. Because the second you tell somebody you're a Christian or you're a follower of Jesus, you are under a microscope whether you believe it or not. People are watching you more than you know. There is always someone watching. I'm going to tell you something else. There's probably someone who you are inspiring who you don't even know about. There's probably someone who looks up to you that you've never even came in contact with or you have minimal contact with. Because the people who are outside those doors, they're looking for something genuine. They're looking for something different than what they see every day, even if they don't realize it. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. I said I needed help preaching this, and I appreciate you shouting out. Don't hesitate. Let it go. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, what we need to understand is he's actually talking to the body of Christ here. He's actually talking to, to Jewish Christians, but before they turned their lives over to Christ, they were Jewish zealots. Okay, so it was nothing for them to take things by force, to do things aggressively, to handle their business just in, in a, for a lack of a better, of an unchrist-like manner. It was up for them to kill, to murder, to argue, to fight, to get their point across. And see, this is why a lot of biblical scholars believe that James is talking about actual violence here, actual murder, actual attack, actual division in the body. How many of you know when you get saved, that's when the journey begins? It doesn't always happen right away. There's things that God has, some things fall off right away, but there's just things that God has to work out in us. And see, James didn't pull any punches here. He urged the church to make sure that our passions and our desires don't become our priority. That our passion and our desire don't take the place in our heart that God and Jesus is supposed to have. And he showed us what happens when we lose sight of being the church. Because sometimes we can get so busy doing church that we forget that we are the church, so we forget to be the church. That distinction is very important. He's not saying taking care of yourself is wrong. He's not saying nurturing your abilities is wrong. He's not saying don't take care of my physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. He's saying, what are your motives? What is the root cause? Why do you really do what you do? Why do you really want that job? Why do you really want that car? Why do you want to date that person? Is this a status thing? How do you respond when you don't get what you want? See, James is showing us very early in these passages what happens when you replace God with inward focus. 
when what you want becomes the driving force behind your everyday life. James is warning us against hedonism. All pleasure, no pain. If it feels good, do it. How many of you know just because something is good for you or is good doesn't mean it's good for you? How many of you know that good things can be distractions? Good things can stop you from doing great things. Just because it feels good to you does not mean you should do it. Did we pray about it? Did we seek God about it? So see, he's talking to a group of people who had personal problems, internal problems, which led to relational problems. We need to remember, church, that we are one body. Okay? The Bible is clear that Jesus is coming back for his bride. That is singular. We are one body. The church is a living organism. We were never meant to stand self-sufficiently and independently. We were meant to be dependent on Christ and intertwined with one another, interceding for one another, standing in the gap for one another, holding each other's arms up when, one, when the other one gets tired. When one of us is burdened, we should all be burdened. When one of us is celebrating, we should all be celebrating. When one of us gets a raise, we all get a raise in theory. Okay, y'all paying attention. I'm just making sure. This is why a lack of spiritual maturity, this is why a lack of selflessness in the church is a problem. This is why it's so difficult. Because this isn't all about us. This is about the plan that God has for our lives and why he saved our souls in the first place. So see that you here is the believers. The war here is that underlying conflict of you and someone else. He's talking about why do relationships get so combative in the church. And it starts when we prioritize our flesh over the will of God. It starts when we prioritize what feels good over the will of God. As children of God, we need to ask him what he wants from us. What do you want me to do? You've seen the end from the beginning, so show me the plan that you have for my life. So a, a young gentleman in the church recently walked up to me, and i got to be honest with you, I'm becoming that person. When I say something has, is happening recently, it was like six months to five years ago. I don't know when, when this started happening, but for this sake, we'll say recently, we'll pretend like it was this morning. He walked up to me and he told me, he was like, you know, I want to preach. I'm ready to pastor. I want to teach. And I said, okay, let me show you something. I handed him this. I'm more old school than some of you know, Because <laughs> I said, if you're not willing to clean a bathroom in the house of God, you're not willing to be a preacher in God's house. I will, I will tell you this, Ken, I'm going to put this back down now because we don't need to play with the toilet brush. Um, I will tell you this, this is one of those times when I got ready to preach a sermon, I really had to do some serious soul searching because... You can have a thousand teachings and a thousand sermons and a thousand messages, and if none of them have you, it's a problem. It's a problem. I got to talk to this young man about putting himself aside and being ready to give out for other people out of obedience and sacrifice. Because, see, being a pastor isn't about being on a stage in front of lights and cameras. It's about getting knee-deep in people's mess sometimes. 
It's about sometimes taking that phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. You have to be up in a few hours to work. It's about going to the hospital and praying for people when they get that bad report and they're broken. Okay? This isn't about lights, camera, action. You know, I learned this a while ago, but my friend Neff really helped me put this into words, that shepherds smell like sheep. Okay? So I can't take credit for that line. That's all him. But he really helped me articulate something to the point where if you're not willing to give for yourself, if you're not willing to sacrifice for that, it's going to hurt the unity in the body. So I really got a chance to show this young man what it was like to be a leader. Because, see, this is our house. How do you treat your own house where you're getting ready to go when you leave here? Are you willing to keep this house clean in the physical and the spiritual sense? See, Psalms 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to, brethren to dwell together in unity. The scary part about that verse is the opposite is also true. How scary is it when there's disunity? How scary is it when we let every little thing just separate us and divide us? We need to keep something in mind that the church is not a place of perfect people. We're a group of redeemed and forgiven people. So see, you, you can clap. You've got to remember, James is speaking to the church. Okay, you've never heard Pastor Bob say, extend the right fist of fellowship. Like, you've never heard him say that. And if you have, you need to tell him before I preach this again somewhere else. I need to take this part out. So see, we need to ask ourselves a question. Is Jesus on the throne? Or is he on the throne based on how I feel that day? Is he on the throne until somebody says something I disagree with? Is he on the phone until somebody says something I don't like? Is he, on the throne, is he on the throne until somebody votes differently than me? Is Jesus on the throne until only in November when one of us votes Democrat and one of us votes Republican? Where is the priority here? Because if Christ is on the throne, we should be able to work through these things together. When we're looking for reasons to be divided, I'm telling you that is the enemy right away. We have more in common with one another than we know. All we have to do is just sit down and talk to one another. See, these things that James talked about was going on in the church. So yes, no one can tame the tongue, but we all profess Jesus. Therefore, we have Jesus inside of us. Therefore, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Therefore, we have self-control. The question is, do we exercise said self-control? Do we exercise self-control before we go and gossip about that person? Because here's what I've learned in, this, in the time I've been serving the Lord in leadership. Sometimes there's a reason why people act the way they act. It could be childhood trauma. Somebody's always fighting a battle that you don't know anything about. They may be going through something that you just can't see because they walk through those doors with a smile on my face, but they are broken inside. You have no idea. See, the very message of the gospel is a message of love, of knowing when to just put your arm around someone and just keep your mouth shut. I prefer to preach the gospel and only use words when necessary. I know you've all heard that before. But this, we're talking about actions now. So I'm going to sum this up in a different way. Internal, external, and eternal. 
what you don't deal with eternally, or excuse me, what you don't deal with internally will come out externally towards others. And it will affect your relationship with God, which means it has eternal consequences. Let me say this different. What you don't deal with in your own heart, someone else is going to have to deal with one way or another. If you don't heal, you're going to hurt somebody else. If you negatively impact someone else's healing, they're going to hurt somebody else. This is why it's important that we stand together. We are, it has become this cliche thing, but it's not true. We are stronger together. There's a reason why he made us all different. Different talents, different treasures, different gifts, different work schedules. There are people in this building sometimes at 11, 12 o'clock at night doing things that none of us see to make this possible. So from the person on stage, the person who's cleaning the bathrooms, we all have a part to play. So this group didn't get what they wanted. They responded in aggressive ways. They responded in harsh ways. They responded in extreme ways. I got to ask, how do we respond when we don't get what we want? Or when, we, or when people don't behave the way that we think they should? Or when their journey with God just looks a little bit differently than mine does? Your testimony is for someone else, so we all can't be the same. We all can't walk and talk the same. We can't reach a nation with the gospel if we're all the same. Here's what I know. Selfishness not only leads to wrongdoing, it can lead to wrong praying. Because instead of praying, God, change that person. Remove this thorn from my hip. Make my situation go away. We should be praying, God, change me to deal with this situation. God, show me how to talk to that person I struggle to talk to. See, the purpose of prayer and fasting is not to change God's heart. It's to change us. It's to position us towards him. It's to get us on his page. He already wrote the script for our life. I would encourage you today to pray, God, am I tracking with you? Am I doing the things that you want me to do? Am I really living the way that you want me to live? And you can ask him point blank just like that. Because like Jose preached last week, you need wisdom. All we got to do is ask. You want to talk about the wise thing to do? Ask God what he wants from your life. Because he's the one who saved it. He's the one who created it. So he's the only one with the actual answer. Sometimes we pray for God to move, but we don't get out of God's way. Sometimes we pray for God to move, and then we get in our own way. We try to open those doors for ourselves and force those things to happen. See, selfishness and pride run deep. But when God is in the focus, and you are your own focus, all of a sudden when you don't get what you want, you're like, man, I'm not good enough. What happened here? God, why me? And God is responding saying, no, why not me? Why not put God first? Anybody ever here started praying for something they wanted so bad they weren't getting it, and then you just started negotiating with God? Like, God, I really want a new boat. You've been praying about it for like three years about this boat, and you still don't have it. 
And you start bargaining with God, like, look, if you give me this boat, I'll take the youth group on a cruise. God knows you're not going to do that. That's why you don't have the boat. <laughs> because when we pray, the motive behind our prayer matters. God knows the honesty behind our hearts. Because I tell you what, self-focused people, self-centered motives is going to affect your prayer life because you're going to struggle to pray. Because you're going to be focused more on what you're doing versus what Jesus did on the cross and why he saved you in the first place. See, your true happiness, your true joy is on the other side of what God has for you. It is not in my own wants and desires. And I'm not saying God does not care about our wants. But when we pray those things to him, we need to surrender those things to him. And let your will be done in my life. So I have to ask, church, how is our heart? Because church is not a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday thing. This is a 24-7 thing. And see, if we don't love God right and wholeheartedly, we're going to have a hard time loving people. If we can't love a perfect God right, we're going to have a hard time loving imperfect people. See, sometimes we give people and places and things and materials a place in our heart that God is supposed to have, and then we wonder when we get those things why we still feel empty and we don't feel fulfilled. It's because they're not your Savior in the first place. We aren't meant to shine the light on ourselves. We're meant to shine it on God. I've gotten to this point in leadership where I've just said, forget it. I'm just going to apologize. Even if it's not my fault. Even if I had nothing to do with it. I spent a lot of time apologizing for things that I'm like, I need, are you serious? Yeah, sure, I'm sorry. Because sometimes it sets the other person free. Because sometimes that allows their healing to take place. Sometimes they just need somebody to yell at and get it off their chest. The question is, are you willing to apologize? But are you willing to love anyway if the apology that you should get never came? When that thing you prayed for, you didn't get it. When God actually says, this isn't for you. Are we willing to love him anyway and love the people next to us anyway? Whenever I talk to people about the condition of their heart, I always ask them, what's your diet like? And no, I'm not talking about the food you ate. I'm not even talking about how much sleep you're getting. Those two things are important. I won't preach to you about getting sleep because that's just not my thing. But I will ask you, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Who are you listening to? Who is in your life? Who are they listening to and what are they watching? The people that you hang around, are they becoming more like you or are you becoming more like them? What is your diet like? Because what comes in is going to come out eventually. If I don't deal with my heart, you're going to have to. If I'm not praying and reading and studying and surrendering, you're going to see it eventually. Because private choices, private sin, has public consequences. It's up to us whether that's going to be positive or negative. 
See, we're struggling to get along with other people. There could be a struggle going on with us. I discovered, too, that some of the things that I don't like about someone is actually something I don't like about myself. It's actually a problem I discovered is also in me. I'm going to move on. Y'all getting quiet on me. Y'all getting quiet on me. <laughs> don't put your own... I think I got about 20 more minutes of this. So don't keep... Don't put your desires above God because it's going to cost your relationship with God every single time. And he is, and I cannot stress it enough, this is not about not taking care of yourself and making sure you're healthy. This is about your priorities and your motives. The motive behind what we do is what matters. When we're focused on our own desires, our very insides become a battleground because the peace of the Lord isn't in that. See, James goes on to talk about not being a friend of the world. I just want to be clear what this means. We're called to love people. He's not talking about don't be friends with, with non-Christians, the people who don't believe what you believe. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying worldly ways, worldly ideology, things that get done in the world that oppose what God is all about. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about dealing, not being a friend of the world. Note he compared friendship with the world to adultery. There's a reason for that. Because we're the bride. We're married to Christ. I want to urge you to not commit spiritual adultery. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Worldly ways will not grow God's kingdom. So we have to make sure that we're not drifting far from God and drifting towards the world. And how do you know if you're doing that? I got a few talking points here for you. They're going to pop on the screen. This is a simple one. If it's pulling you away from God, it's not from him. If you find yourself further and further away from God, whatever that thing is, whatever that it is, it's not from him. Here's another one. When my personal pleasure is more important to me than my spiritual growth. When you worry and care more about what people think than what God says about you and what God thinks about you. So I'm going to tell you, we're going to fail each other. People are going to fail you. And we cannot be conformed to the patterns of this world. Because I don't know if you notice, but every couple weeks there's a new pattern in this world. I can't even keep up anymore. You know what hasn't changed? God's love for us. Another way you know you're a friend of the world you disregard scripture. If you're hostile towards God's word, you're hostile towards God. If you're hostile towards God's word, you're hostile towards God's people. If you're hostile towards God's word, you're hostile towards his son. If you're hostile towards his word, you're not going to care what his word has to say. You can't walk with God and hold hands with the devil. It doesn't work. These, these things don't work. That's a tug of war. I thank God here that James gave us a solution to this problem. Submit to God. Walk in grace. Remember, he's writing to a group of people who started doing things contrary to the way that Jesus would do them. He's right to Christians who were not dealing with disciplinary actions properly. James is saying, don't use discernment. 
He's not saying don't exercise wisdom. He's saying, how are we going about keeping the unity in the body? Because the way you're going about this is all wrong. See, God runs jealously after us. And that jealousy there, that's actually, it's a love. It's a, I don't want to see idols in your life. I don't want to see something that comes in your life that's going to separate you from me. I don't want you to get hurt by these things. He gives us more grace. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And this isn't the grace about salvation. This is the grace that we need to get through our day-to-day. When you get the bad report from the doctor, when you don't get the job, when you don't get the raise that you thought. Let me tell you, if you didn't get it, then it wasn't for you. What God has for you is for you, and there's nothing anybody can do about that. There's nothing anybody can do about the call of God on your life. There is nothing anybody can do about the blessings that God has for you. Because see, where there's overflowing sin, there's overflowing grace. No, it's not an excuse to go on sinning. It's a, it's a great reason to rejoice for everything God has done and is going to do. See, sometimes God allows things in our lives to humble us. Where would we be if God just gave us everything we want and everything we asked for? Would we really keep seeking him? I'm telling you, I've not been in that situation. I did not continue to seek him. Those things lead to Pride. Worst case, I mean, best case, they need to, to, to knowledge. <laughs> and what happens with too much knowledge? Puffeth up. Turns right into pride. Sometimes we want those things removed, those things that God allowed into our lives. Those are the very things that God allowed into our lives to teach us something, to show us something. Things that would, we wouldn't learn and grow if we didn't have those, those trials. I don't like going through trials, but I try to count them all as joy. And yes, that is easier said than done, but that is why the priority and the focus has to be Christ. Because my feelings are like a pendulum. They change from sunshine to rain. They change the snap of a finger. Do you feel far from God? I will just tell you this because I love each one of you, that God isn't the one who moved. I would ask God, again, I said this already, am I really positioned where you want me to be positioned in my life? Is where I'm at in my life right now where you want me? Show me where we're going. See, in verse 9, it talks about, you know, just our sin and just being wrecked. When was the last time you really just wept because you had to repent for a hard heart? When was the last time you wept because you said something about someone that it's like, I shouldn't have said that? When was the last time you were just broken because God made you so aware of your sin that you just said, Lord, I'm going to lay face down here. Forgive me. Because let me tell you, your yes, your surrender, it matters. Because no one can do the very thing that God created you to do. No one can be you except you. Each one of us has a part to play. You are so uniquely and wonderfully made that whatever call that you have on your life, no one can do that but you. You should walk in that victory. So as we get ready to close here, I have three ways to help you maintain unity in the church. Point number one, always make it a family matter. So I jokingly told the story about trying to be a rapper on the worship team. 
which it wasn't a joke, I tried and failed miserably this time. And never mind. But if Jose and I actually had a problem, you wouldn't know. It wouldn't be in a message because we deal with it behind a closed door and we wouldn't tell any of you. We'd shake hands, we'd hug, we'd high five, and we'd go back to loving each other. It doesn't say we're going to agree all the time. It's actually asking us, how do we handle these disagreements? Now, you have an issue with someone and you can't work it out between the two of you? Grab a spiritually mature third party, unbiased, who can sit there and help you through that problem. Because posting about it on Facebook isn't going to help. Complaining about the church and what we do and don't do on Facebook isn't going to help. You just guarantee that those unsaved people in life, they're not going to come. Make it a family matter. Number two, get out of the judge's seat. I can use discernment. It's not my place to judge you. Because I know if I judge you, that measure is going to be put back on me. It's not my place. I didn't create you. See, when we violate love, we violate the very thing of the kingdom. I want to encourage you. If there's someone that you need to apologize to, if there's someone you need to make something right with, don't walk out of here today until you do it. Don't do it. Because tomorrow isn't promised. Which brings me to my third point of use your words to heal, not hurt. You guys probably heard this your entire lives. If you don't have something nice to say, let's try this again. If you don't have anything nice to say, I'm going to add something to that. If you don't have anything nice to say, you need to pray and ask God why you don't have anything nice to say. I actually covered that earlier, so I'm just going to let that go. Okay. But... In closing, we are stronger and better together. When you see division in the body, we have to fix those things right away. We have to deal with problems and issues right away. And telling 60 people about such and such an issue is not a way of dealing with that problem because it's not how Jesus would handle that problem. We have to love one another and be the church to one another so we can go out and be the church to the streets. Amen. New life, thank you, I appreciate it.